Well, there's no problem. If you had a gun, shoot him in the head. Welcome to Shoot Me Straight podcast. I'm here with David and Angelique. They have their own podcast. It is called Turned On. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. They are they're becoming really good friends for me and my wife. We got to meet them in Seaside yesterday, and I wanted to bring them on and talk to them about their podcast, what they're doing. I really, more than anything, want to get some experience from them because these guys are on like almost 200 episodes. Yep. And we don't have, and we are, we're on episode five or something like that, still trying to figure out what we're doing. And these guys have been through a lot. One of the things that they were telling me, um, and I'll I'll ask it as a question, really, is about when you you guys got started. What was that like when the first couple episodes, like you guys coming up with the idea of it? Yeah, all mm-hmm. that. So you know, it's funny because when we first got married, uh, Angelique's like, "So what do you want to like?" You know. We fell in love and we're kind of talking and she's like, so what do you want to do? You know, like, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I want to be a storyteller. And she's like, okay. <laughs> Great. And, we're going to be broke. Yeah. And she didn't tell me that right away. But later on, years into the marriage, she's like, when you told me you want to be a storyteller, I'm like, so we're going to be broke. Yeah, I was sweating. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we got our podcast started. I'll, I'll give you the backstory later on, but I'll, I'll tell you the short story up front is Angelique says, I want to do a podcast. And I said, well, babe, you know, I think we're better together you know, and let's play off one another. And there wasn't a lot of couples doing a podcast together at the time. And so um, she goes, well, what do you want to call it? And I go, let's call it Turned On. And she's like, <laughs> well, is that, what's that about? I'm like, I, had, I was teaching entrepreneurs how to articulate their vision in a way that wasn't boring. I have a very short attention span. And I was watching people are kind of in their car uh, trying to articulate their vision for their product or their business. And I was just like, hey, how are you? I'm just sitting here. I just finished lunch. I had a tuna fish sandwich. Happy I'm gonna, Monday. Happy Monday. I'm going <laughs> to wait for some people to pop on. And for me, with a short attention span, I'm like, get to the point. Like, what's in it for me? Like, give me the juice. Yep. And so I was teaching this course at the time. And in my workbook, I had this photograph of a food court. And it had like 10, I would say early 20s, late teen people, you know, young people in it, in line at a food court. And out of those 10 people in this line, nine of them were looking down at their phones. And one person was just up and alert and, you know, looking straight ahead. And I would ask the audience, I'm like, who here, if you were going to do business, who here looks like they're up for the conversation? Who here looks like they're, they're ready, you know? And who's, who's turned on? And I labeled that little section, turned on. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like, who is like the switch, who's ready to flip that switch, who's open for the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I like, let's call it turned on. And lo and behold, what happened? Well, there's, well, there's that side of the story, right? And then there's my side of the story. Well, the URL was available. The URL was available, by the way, turnedon.com, which it was a premium, obviously. And most people go into that site might be looking for one thing and they're going to find something else. That's another way to flip the switch in their life. But, you know, for me, I I come, my, my background in, in business was so much of wanting to mince the worlds of, you know, being a kingdom entrepreneur and, and being focused on like the God mind and bringing that into, into the business conversation. So I was, I was like, well, turned on to me is like, you, you know, you're making sure that that light is, is that never goes out, you know, that you pierce through the darkness, that you see differently, that you speak differently, that you walk differently. And so the same goes with what he was saying. He's like, if your head's up, your eyes are open, you see differently, you hear differently, you speak differently, you come across differently, you connect differently, you walk differently. So that was where we got to bring us together. So we decided if we're going to do this, we're going to go all in. And um, it started with saying, okay, well, if we're going to brand it, 
you know, turned on is the URL available. And to our surprise, it was like, what are the odds that in 2019 or 2020, when we do that, the, the URL turned on.com was available. It was just like, oh, the dot com. The dot com. Wow. Not a dot me, not a dot you, not a dot org, like a dot com. So <clears throat> we bought the dot com. We started the podcast. He actually wrote his, his first uh, book, Turned On. And um, we decided that this was going to be how we approach everything, how we look at business, how we do life, uh, you know, and, and how we approach every single relationship. So for us, it was, it was, a, it was a statement. It was putting our, our stake in the ground, and it's a hill we're willing to die on. Well, how do, let me ask you a qu- question, David. How do we learn most, most often... I learn and people teach through stories. I mean, if you if you open the Bible, it is a book of stories, parables, metaphors, right? Um, and so turned on was this kind of metaphor, like a Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. More importantly, what was the opposite of that is I, I started using the term we're we're on we're a society, we're a culture on cruise control. Mm-hmm. We we have hit the um, the cruise control button. We we go through life not even looking up. We, we are not engaging people. We're not looking them in the eye. And when you go on cruise control, and sometimes people don't even realize it, you know, you can get, you can stay in your house now for months and not even have to leave because you got everything delivered to you. And, and so we wanted to wake people up and say, hey, we're slowly being put to sleep. C.S. Lewis said that the, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. And, and Jordan Peterson kind of reiterated that recently on, a, up, on an episode of the um, Joe Rogan podcast. He says what happens is people get pushed back, and they say, hey, wait a minute, and then they stop. And then they, get, and they wait, and they wait, and they start to push a little more, and then we push back and say, wait, this isn't right, and then they stop. And then he goes, before you know it, you're at a place so far, you don't know how you got there. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they did it little by little, by little. So if Jordan Peterson saying that now, one of the brightest minds of our times, and C.S. Lewis said that in the, uh, in the, in the 1960s, right, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, we, we, we need to wake people up, because if not, we'll just, we'll just watch TV all day, we'll be on our phones all day, we'll have our food delivered to us, and before you know it, you'll be like, my life is terrible. How? Well, it's because you went to sleep years ago. It's because mm-hmm. you went on cruise control, you went on autopilot, and little by little by little, you realize that you shut people out of your life. We met you outdoors. Mm-hmm. We met you in person. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic just exasperated this whole thing. So yep. I feel like God was saying, hey, get ready for this. Mm-hmm. I started this in 2016. We started our podcast in what year? 2019. 2019. Yeah. So God was prepping us for this to say, hey, this is going to be a major problem mm-hmm. in, in life. 100%. I, it, I, I, Jordan was probably talking about politics, right? Like, mm-hmm. like going the left, wokeness left. Mm-hmm. and people pushing, and then us saying, "Okay, that's a little too much," and then they would stop, and you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it, I, I agree with you. The same thing is true. Like this year, the way I put it to myself this year with my wife was, "Hey, I'm, I'm not gonna let a day go by that I'm not leveling up. That I'm not leveling up. That I'm not being turned on. Yeah. Yeah. Not turned off." In, in your words. But it, it it's this it my def the default position will be to cruise to yeah. watch a TV show to okay I know I need to do that tomorrow mm-hmm. type deal mm-hmm. instead of hey yeah and and it's accumulation of a lot of little decisions that's mm-hmm. right 
continual little decisions of going, okay, no, this scares me. I'm going to do it. Yep. This scares me. I'm going to do it. This, I don't want to do this, but that's the next step. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So Flipping there was a, a switch. Yeah. There that's was a simple. random guy in, in the book. He was a bishop in Africa and I was reading his thing and he was talking about this sermon and the, it was titled the devil's in the delay. And he's like, He's like, the devil is in the delay. He's like, because he can't take what's in your heart, your passion. He can't take that from you. He can't steal you, but he can delay you. He can put things in front of you to distract you. And when you're delayed long enough, guess what? You stop. You know, how many people have something like you wanted to do something? You had a vision. And you just told us before we went on air, you just said, I told my wife that I have to stop and do this now. And I have to go all in. So that's unique because a lot of people are going the opposite way. Well, I want to start this, you know, 501c3, or I want to start my own company, or I have a vision just to get in shape, or have a vision to to really spend time with my kids. Mm-hmm. And then we get delayed, and then we get delayed, and then we get distracted. And then before you know it, you're, you're past your prime. You're in maybe your 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever it may be, and you look back, and the worst thing that could happen is regret. Mm-hmm. One of the, I've had grown men take my class, six foot 10 men, strong men, and I said, let's do a little bit of just Q&A here. Let's say you're 95 years old. You lived a great life, and you're on your deathbed, natural causes, and you look back and you say, what's your biggest regret? What would that be? And the guy just started, he, he just started waterfalls, this big, burly alpha man, waterfalls. He's like, spending time with my kids. Mm-hmm. He goes, I don't spend enough time with my kids, and I know if I don't change that, that it'll eat me up inside. Mm. Think about that. Well, we talk about that in, the, in Turned On. There's four main hallways that we refer to. So it's health, relationships, business, and then, of course, faith. Because if you ask that question, the majority of the times, most people are going to have a regret in one or more of those areas. We really don't think much else. Those are like the pillars of our guiding principles. It's, you know, it's, it's how it's our, our health relationships, the, our purpose in business in the marketplace, what we do, how we invest in our talents and put it back into the, into the world. And then of course our faith, our spirituality. So um, when we look at it as a hallway, it's not a room, you're not in a box, it's a corridor. It takes you from one place to another. It's a journey. It's something that you're always moving through, always growing through. And we want to keep it simple enough to where, like you said, it's these little decisions that accumulate over time. And they're either going to accumulate in a way that is going to give you know great favor and, and produce fruit, or they're going to accumulate into a, in a way where you're going to find yourself really behind the eight ball. So you're walking down a hallway and you find yourself in a dark spot. You got to realize I got to flip the switch. It's, it's it's time to turn another light. Like I've got to I have to move through this season. And and to your point, like pivoting. You know, that's there's so many times in in so many people's lives turned on moments. You know, where they've pivoted in a career because they realized that they were doing something that was soul sucking. You know, it was just destroying them at a spiritual level and and pulling away from their their very purpose and that's such an important part of who we are and how we're designed and and how he hardwired us for that type of connection is just to make sure that we're sowing into the talents and not being some you know slothful servant of not investing in the things that we have been given we are all given a measure how much we invest in it is really where the favor is that's awesome. And, and think about what she said about hardwired, right? Think about the part of God hardwired us. So when we, when we start taking our, our speech out of it and we're just texting, when we start taking out being in person and we lose, like when you meet somebody, there's a, there's a visceral connection with, with a, even a smell. Oh. You know, people, well, I don't want to smell, right? But you, you recognize <laughs> that's the strongest sense we have. Friends. So when you meet somebody in person, you touch them, you shake their hand, maybe you give them a hug, you, you can smell them, you see them, you hear them. 
And so what we're doing slowly but surely in this virtual world is we're taking all those things. And when you look at the eyeball in general and you, and you see like that's one of the things that Darwin, even, even an atheist like Darwin, he just couldn't wrap his mind around the eyeball and all of its moving parts. Yeah, was it? Windows to the soul? Yeah. Window to the soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you start taking these things, these these things that God gave us, these natural things, and you start taking them away, and you start, and that's why these lockdowns that happened over the pandemic, and you said, well, everybody, people are more depressed, they're not going out, and slowly but surely, we're we're losing that vitality. You know, when we talked about people hunting right before we came on air, and we talked about being outdoors, um, you know, I've never been one of those people that has really been into some of the, uh, I don't know what you call it, but it's grounding basically now. And you realize that, no, there's there's science behind grounding. There's science behind being outdoors. That's where you go outside with your shoes off yep. and just In like nature. Yeah. on the earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so from, from, a, from a Christian standpoint, you know, I was like, well, okay, but there is science behind that. And, and part of my second book, um, which was called The Pursuit, was finding where science and faith meet. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive. There's actually a lot more where they meet in the middle. Um, one of the one of the um, there's Francis Collins. He was in the news recently for mm, whether you like him or not, but he was one of the big things in the, over the pandemic. He was one of the big scientists. Well, Francis Collins wrote a book called The Language of God, and he was the lead scientist on what's known as the greatest scientific discovery of mankind. It's the it's the mapping of the human genome, the DNA sequence, and it happened back on I believe 1992, somewhere in the in the Bill Clinton era. They they finished it. In other words, they had been working on this, but it was called. Now we have the the DNA. I mean the DNA sequence. Yeah. The, they can map out everything. So if you read the language of God, he actually was an atheist, started out, became agnostic started to believe and then became a strong believer. And you'll see the same thing with so many of the strongest believers, like C.S. Lewis, atheist. C.S. Lewis was in in the war, World War II, and he saw people dying in front of him in violent ways. His mother mother had died when he was nine. So his whole whole worldview was uh, death of his mother, death of some of his closest friends, and he was an atheist, and then he became agnostic, and then he had this conversation... um, in, in in Oxford, um, with one of the other was, was the, it Tolkien? Yeah, yeah. And they they had yeah. this. They, they were friends. I knew that. Yeah, and they had this conversation like three o'clock in the morning, and they basically converted C.S. Lewis. And this it was a series of things, but there was this one night that came to it. So I just feel like I feel like there's so much more that we, if we don't put the brakes on what's happening now, and we don't get back to that human connection, that we're gonna get lost. One of the things I think of with that is, so y'all mentioned faith, and I'm I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Not by not by my choice, honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was I was heading to death and drug and alcohol addiction, and God blew me up. Mm. Right, He came and grabbed a hold of me, mm. and um, and I remember one of the first things I thought that morning was, was, one. Holy shit! God is actually real, like mm. actually real, mm-hmm. like the like. And I would have said I was a Christian before, you know. Yeah, I would have been like, yeah, I am. I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But like, I did not. I did not root like I. He. I mean, 
it's a difference between Googling someone and knowing them oh, and yeah. truly knowing them. And Intimacy, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 so it scared me. It, it really, like there was a, um, I mean, it was a, like a I had fear. absolute fear of going, he's actually real, yeah. actually. Like for real. Yeah. Like, oh, this I want to hear that a, story, but like, I want to hear that story. Ooh, but like, I think of one <clears> of the most powerful things I've, I've never, like I've talked to a lot of people about the Lord. I mean, just naturally, because it's you're not gonna get to know me without like it coming out. Yeah, sure. Um, but most of the time, I prefer people that don't know Jesus or are not involved in the Christian culture. I can't stand it. And that morning, I remember thinking, "Man, one, God is actually real, and then two, like, crap, I'm gonna have to be around Christians." Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not fun. Like I'm yeah. like, oh man, I cannot, absolutely cannot. It, it it at the time where I was in West Texas, yeah, it was about the most ancestral, new age. It it, it was it was about the fakest culture, yeah. um, that you could do was be uh, be a, go to church out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was mm-hmm. so bad, um, and I've seen that a mm-hmm. lot in the Bible Belt, but like. And then I've been wrong at other times too. Um, like I've grown a lot in it. I mean, I'm, I still cannot stand Christian culture. I think it's actually anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah. about like, hey, me and being moral. And it's like yep. I thought it was about that we're not, and that Jesus saved you from. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> so, but so but true. I think one of the things that like the most impactful things that I've seen throughout the years is it's not an intellectual argument or anything like that. Because I mean, man. There's people way smarter than me that would throw up stuff that I have no clue. And, and a lot of stuff I don't really know. I know some I know some major basic things with yeah. God. And I know them not just biblically, but I know them like experientially. Yeah. But it's story. I think you nailed it when yeah. that's what excites me the most is people's story. So I got one for you. Okay. So I had my story's cool, but it's not near as cool as some other people's stories. Some people have some really cool ones. And this one guy, he was a pastor, and he came and he talked to me, and I did not record it. I killed myself for it. <laughs> I'll get him back on. But he, he goes, when I was 30-something, I was in, um, where was he, Italy? I think he was in Italy. And he's in a small town in Italy, and he's at a conference. He was a business guy, was not a believer, Um he's walking down this road and he turns the corner on this road and this guy comes out, runs out to him, hands him a track, right? Like he goes, if you were to die today, do you know where you go? And then he doesn't wait for his response. Right. And so like, there's a cringe in me when I first, when he first telling me that, cause I'm like, Oh man, yeah, you don't even know the person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and <sighs> the guy doesn't even wait for his response. He just takes off running. And so he's like, what the heck? And he's walking down the street but he just can't get this out of his mind. And he starts thinking, well, if I, if I did die today, like, do I know how, how well did it? Wow. And we know, right? Like I know, like that's the Holy spirit, like working on the guy. And, mm-hmm. and then pretty soon it's like, and then, you know, through a couple of days, like he breaks down in his hotel um, and comes to know the Lord years later, goes through seminary and becomes a pastor of the small church. He's preaching one Sunday and tells the story of how he came to know, uh, how he came to know God and tells about the story about the guy that ran out. And then someone approaches him after church and says, what town in Italy was that? No. And he goes, was it at this corner? He goes, that's how I came to know God. 
What? That, that man ran out. So years later, he's, he, he's preaching at a conference, tells the story. Five different people come to him afterwards and go, I have full what, time in it, what, what town in Italy was that? Years later, he's preaching at a pastor's conference. It's, uh, I think it was Acts 29 or something like that. It was a big, huge pastor's conference. Wow. Uh, and he tells the story, and he said 15 different pastors come to him, and they're like, what town? That, that's the guy no. that came. No. And he's like, what are the odds of this stuff? And he asked everyone, Every time he'd tell that story and people would come, he'd ask him, he'd be like, Did, have you kept in touch with that guy? And they're like, no, never. He just don't even out. know his name. Yeah. So finally he's like, you know, screw it. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've been successful, you know, like I got some extra money now. My kids are in college. He's like, I'm flying to Italy. <laughs> I'm going to find him. <laughs> and if that guy this. is still alive, I'm finding that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, oh my <laughs> he God. He didn't say that. <laughs> but so he flies to Italy. He goes to that square and he sits there for a minute and he's like waiting for, and he's like, this guy has to be like 90 years old. Like, yeah. What? He's waiting for him to come out on a wheelchair or something. He's like, nothing. And so he starts asking around and he finally finds a girl that's like, oh, I know him. He's still alive. And he lives up here in this apartment, he's lived there for like 40, 50 years. It's an apartment above um, the little shop there. So he goes up to the apartment, knocks on the door. This little old man comes out and he says, are you so-and-so? He's like, can I come in and talk to you? I, I, You gave me a track years ago and I came to know God. This is 30, 40 years later. And this little old man, 94 years old, just starts bawling. Oh. And, and he was like, he's like, sir. Like, you don't know how many people, I mean, there's there's so many pastors and so many people that have come to know the Lord, and this guy's just bawling and bawling, and he's like, he clears up and he goes, he's like, I'm at the end of my life, and he goes, when I, when I came to know God, when I was 20, 30, or whatever, when I was younger, I made a promise to God, because in his word, he says to share the gospel, mm. He says, I'm going to share the gospel with 10 people a day. And and he's like, I'm horrible with people. Like, so I just <laughs> would go out there. Oh I just got gosh. the tracks. I just go out there, give it to him, and just be obedient to God. Oh, my God. He goes, I'm at the end of my life, and I didn't think no one has ever told me anything has happened. And I was wondering, has my life made a difference? Why? Like, and you coming here telling me today, God sent you here to tell me today, oh, right before I die. Wow. Dude, I mean, the stuff. Oh my I'm gosh. Like, Ooh, I mean, there's so much. I one of the coolest parts of that story is that the guy did not see any results. Yeah. For like 40 years, mm. he just was obeying God. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's the your book, the pursuit. You know, when we talk about Jeremiah 29:11. Where I have plans to prosper you, yeah. but then what we don't know is the other side. It of was it. Seventy, 70 years. years, and and that's become known as the prosperity gospel because people are like, well, prosper me now, and they're they're you know these prosperity preachers are like, well, their money going to show up on your porch if you just yeah. will it that way. And what God was saying is, I'm I'm enough. I know I had a friend that asked me on a on a walk up in up in Nashville. We went on a walk one day, and he goes, um, God just asked me one day. I was praying, and he said, Am I enough? And I was like. That's a heavy-duty question because, you know, he had been successful, and he's like, well, I, I, sooner or later, though, I have to be enough. 
you know, and, and when we talk about the walk, um, you know, I, I grew up in Miami and I, I was a good, good kid all my life, grew up Catholic. And what happened was I had that religion, but I didn't know the word. I didn't have a relationship. And sure enough, in my, in my mid twenties, I went off the rails and I remember um, vividly this, the first time, like I'd never heard an audible word from God. Some people had, but I remember I was, I'll just tell you that I was coming out of a club Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. by myself. Do the math, right? In, in yeah. club clothes, 10 a.m. And I remember walking past families that were going to the beach and I didn't want to look at them in the eye mm. because of my, I was ashamed. And I remember vividly, not the audible voice of God, but an intuition, an inner voice said, David, you're chasing something that you're never going to quite get right now. It was, I love music. I grew up with music. It's like in my, it's embedded in my soul. But at that time in, in South Florida, Miami, uh, just, just after the millennium, right around 2001, um, I mean, I was by myself, <laughs> 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, it takes a lot to stay up that late by yourself. So I picked up <laughs> all my stuff the next day, and I moved. I moved to Tampa to get out of that. And, and people would say, okay, well, there's your saving moment. No, but I just found another vice for the next 10 years. And it wasn't until I met this woman here on my right. Now, here's the story that I was going to tell you. So I was a journalist all my life. I was a reporter. I covered the NFL, and I would keep a journal at night. And I had dated all the wrong women for the wrong reasons, right? And finally, I realized that, you know, I'm 36 years old. You know, I've never been married. I've prayed that I, because I come from a strong family, I prayed for a wife and children. That, that was my goal, but I wasn't doing anything to get there. And so one night I came home, and I again, I traded my vice, and I was, you know, kind of had a few drinks in me, and I just wrote God in this. I said, God, you need to send me an angel. And I signed my name in that thing, and I, <laughs> and I closed it. And I like, you know, literally signed my name. Like, it was a request. And I needed, you need to send me an angel. <laughs> send him a written petition. Yeah. <laughs> now, at that, <laughs> at that same time, I'd stopped going out, but um, I, I auditioned for Big Brother, the, the show Big Brother. Oh, wow. I made it through th- three auditions, then four auditions. And on the fifth one, they said, we're sending you out to California to film this thing. So I fly out to California. Can't tell anybody in my family. You have to, because you're sworn to secrecy. And I'm sitting there for two days sequestered in a hotel in L.A. waiting for them to start filming. You can't do anything. You have a half hour for lunch, and you have 45 minutes to exercise. Other than that, you're in the hotel. Mm. And my family thinks I'm on a business trip. Mm. It's, it's amazing what these reality shows are like. So finally, here comes the knock on my door, right? And it's a production assistant. And I'm like, I'm going nuts in this room. Like, let's start filming. And she's like, well, I have some bad news for you. She's like, the producers are, are recasting the show. They're sending everybody home. And I live in Tampa at this point. I go, I want to get on a flight tonight, a red eye. Like, not tomorrow, not the next day. And this overwhelming feeling of, you idiot, David. Like, you thought a reality show was going to save you? You thought you were going to be famous. You thought you were going to get wealth. You thought you were going to find the woman of your dreams because you were going to be a reality TV star. And this overwhelming shame came over me. And and as I got back on that plane at 10 o'clock on a a Tuesday night in L.A., um, I wrote on the back of a, again, I'm journaling, and I had nothing to write on. I wrote on the back of a vomit bag. (laughs) (laughs) what an idiot how stupid can you be you're 36 you have no career you have no women no woman in your life um everything has gone wrong and it was the rock bottom point 
And so I get back. Did you leave that vomit bag in the seat? I have it somewhere. No, I have oh. it somewhere. It, Someone picks it up. Right. Like, what is this? <laughs> so here's, here's the, the, Bad day on an airplane. the culmination of the story is I'm working as an editor for a magazine, uh, arts and entertainment magazine. And the publisher calls me up that day when I get home and he's like, hey, you got to go do a story. And I was like, oh, we're just having a really rough time. Like, I go, well, all right, well, what's the story on? He goes, well, this, this girl, she just won uh, this bikini universe competition. And I was like, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm like, absolutely not. I go, I, I've already been tortured enough. I just thought I was going to be on this reality show. I got kicked off. The last thing I want to do is sit across from this beautiful girl and, and, and interview her about, you know, her dreams to become a weather person, you know, like <laughs> send somebody else. And he's like, I can't, I can't, you got to go. So the next day I show up and um, I'm doing all the things and I'm just totally not even looking at this girl because I don't want to see her. Right. And I had made so many mistakes with people's names over the years, you know, getting a little league kid's name wrong or some kid wins the scoring title and I misspell his name and a parent, you know, the next day my editor's like, you misspelled this kid's name and his parents are mad. So at the end I go, all right, what, how do you spell your name? It's, it's Angelique. It's A-N-G-E-L-I-Q-U-E, right? That's how you spell it. I know how to spell it. She's like, no, actually I'm Greek. And in the Greek alphabet, there is no Q. So it's A-N-G-E-L-I-K-E. And I'll just tell you today, you know, 12 years later of marriage, we have people call our house, you know, is angel-like there. And, and it's, it's almost like God said, look, if you asked for an angel, I brought someone in your life whose name is spelled angel-like, but it's, it's still at that point, we, we got engaged later on, right? Short romance, we got engaged, but I was so still into that party lifestyle. I was, I was hanging out with a lot of people that were still into that. And I came to her and I said, hey, I just want to let you know, when we get married in a couple months, you know, the <laughs> invitations are out, well, when we get married... Hey, I'm not, you know, this is what I do. I go out. I hang out. If I come home at two o'clock in the morning, if I take a cab home, I don't want to hear any crap from you about where were you or what were you doing. And what did you say? I'll let you finish the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my side of the story is always the best part. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, he did come home and, and, or to my house and, and, you know, with this attitude and, and he was tripping, you know, he was totally tripping. And, but at the time, you know, I was, I was pretty deep already into my faith, and uh, I really had, had to check myself for a second. I was like, "This guy just fooled me," you know. Like, we've we're, we've gone through an entire courtship. Now we're in an engagement. We're looking at putting in, in invitations out, and he's coming out here telling me a whole different story than what that I know of him. So I said, "I don't know who you are or what you did with the guy that I fell in love with, but you're not the guy I'm marrying." And I just said, look, you know, when, when God brings two people together, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. I'm here as 100%. I know who I am. I'm in the fullness and the wholeness in the image of him. And if you're not, then you're the wrong guy for me. So I took my ring off and I made it really clear to him that that was not how I was going to go to the altar. Mm -hmm. And I said, but before you walk out that door forever, I said, I need you to open the Bible with me. And... Um, he was like, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a Catholic boy. I'm a good Catholic boy. I've, I've been open. I'm sure I know the Bible. And what was, what was the, what was the verse? It was, it was first Corinthians where, uh, Paul is, Paul basically says, when I was a boy, I acted like a boy. Mm -hmm. And now it's time to put the childish ways of boyhood behind me and become a man. And, and it, it literally, Ouch. David, seriously, <laughs> look, I, a lot of people embellish stories. A lot of people will say stuff and they'll embellish them, especially as years ago, mm -hmm. literally something changed in that moment when I read that out loud and she made me read it. Literally yeah. something changed and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. 
And that's why when we talk about, we started this conversation about story and storytelling yeah. and podcasting because you go, God put stories in that Bible so we could relate to them. But I was a habitual ritual prayer person. Like you said, religious. Like you said, a lot of people out there are have, have a religion and they want to play it, but they don't know the stories. And that was the whole reason for writing The Pursuit is because there are stories in there for every single thing that you may go through in life. All the big trials, there's a story in there of people who have overcome it or who have not overcome it. You know, that's what I love about the Bible is that it's not kumbaya. There is not a happy ending. You know, when when Jonah ran, he was able to fulfill his assignment from God, but the story of Jonah ends with him under a tree, miserable because he couldn't still forgive the Ninevites. Um, he, he still hated those people. So there wasn't a happy ending for Jonah. And that's why I love this story, because that pierced my heart. And what it did is it started this this roller coaster, this this kind of tidal wave of events where we never separated since then. Mm-hmm. And then and then it, it went to another spot earlier on in our career where people were telling us, hey, if you're gonna be a Christian and you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you probably don't want to mesh those two. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you advice, separate it because you're gonna cut off half of your audience because half of your audience isn't gonna want to hear about faith or or your God story. And I remember exactly where I was at that point. We were five years into our marriage. We were celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary. We were in Sedona. And I looked out and I said, God, you know, like everything we have, these two beautiful children we have, this this successful company we have, um, the successful marriage we have is because of you. And people are telling me to shut you out. You know what I'm going to do, God? I'm going to double down on you. I'm going to go the opposite direction. You know, I'm going to, instead of making you a footnote in my business, I'm going to make you a headline. And we went home and we went all in. Now, I won't say it's it's been easy no. because we are in the world and, and some people don't like that. But we made a we made an agreement with the Lord that we were gonna take everything that he gave us because with all the blessings and we were gonna we were gonna expose them and give him credit for everything. I th- you know, I think to your point though, Dave, it was like just uh, you almost want to run the opposite direction sometimes from how how that operates, you know, you know, in, in terms of whether it's a Christian worldview or, you know, religion or whatever. And because there's a lot of church hurt people out there, there's a lot of church disappointed people out there. There's a lot of people who use scripture in the wrong way. So as more as the, a weapon in the wrong way. So for us, you know, while he's a headline and we don't want to extract him from any parts of what we do, um, and we're very bold and courageous about it. At the same time, we're also very careful and very sensitive because, you know, it's to be a voice for the voiceless, you know, to come for the lost, to look for the one among the 99, you know, and, and that's really what faith is about, especially in, in business and even in all the business ventures that we have and the training that we do. A lot of times what's interesting is that, you know, you attract this, you know, avatar, if you will, but you'll always have these outliers that show up. And it's interesting what happens with the outliers. We've had so many people come into, whether it's our courses or our training or events, and it's just like, man, I was, I was lost. I thought I was coming here for a business conference. I thought I was coming here to learn how to be a better speaker or presenter, or, you know, strategies around this or that. And I ended up just completely reconciling, you know, recon, having reconciliation with the Lord or finding the Lord. You know, so you just have to be we just have to trust, you know, we have to trust that, that God is, that he's bigger than our plans, that he's bigger than our strategies. And when we try to white knuckle the process, we get too involved and we run ahead of him, you know, and that's the whole point. It's like, we got to stop trying to run ahead. Mm. And, 
for everything that we do and, and re, even going back to your original question about podcasting, you know, yeah. like is we had plans for it. We, we thought it was going to be one way sure. and we ended up running ahead and we canned what six or seven episodes and we listened to them. And we're like, this is crap. I wouldn't listen to this. Yeah. And so we just said, you know what, Lord, we're just going to put all our chips in the table. This is, this is yours. Yeah. You know, y- you take control of the interview. you, allow for those stories to to be unleashed and just let them rip you know and eventually it took on an identity of its own because it was no longer something that we defined no longer something that you know we had parameters around or rules around or you know this rigid you know control around it was it we have to we pray a prayer all the time it's like god roll out the red carpet or slam the door shut and you'll see the red carpets you know and you'll just kind of go back and listen to those stories or relive those stories. Or even at the end of the day, after even meeting you were like, God, how does that happen? You know, how do, how do things like that happen? Unless it's God, like unless God does some really cool orchestrating behind the scenes and all of these little puzzle pieces come together, you might not be able, and just for the listeners, like you might not be able to figure out how the dots are connecting right now, but you can always figure out how they connect when you look back. And that's, you know, our story, that's whether it's our marriage, our business or anything else, like we've always looked back and go, now I understand. You know, when I took myself out of that situation and didn't make an idol out of it, now I understand. Dude, I I feel like I'm 100% following you guys. I, I feel like I've learned more about God. It's it's almost like religion is like rules out outward appearance yeah, yeah. blah 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 and, and then but it's really about relationship right mm-hmm. everything's really yeah. around relationship mm-hmm. um, and so so I, I like I feel like I've learned more about God from my kids yeah totally right and so one one huge one right is is just going oh my goodness you view me like this. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. you, I mean, especially my boy. Yeah, of course. Right? Like, he is, he has, I feel like, 99% of my genes and maybe 1% of Frank. Like, I'm looking at him like, I get it. Yeah. I know why you just pulled that fire escape alarm. I know <laughs> I know why you just yeah. broke the one thing in this place that is, like, irreplaceable. I, oh, I my know, gosh. Yeah. Like, I get why you set that like like he nearly set our house on fire last week. Like I mean, yeah. he wow. he put the microwave on for a hundred and something minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Like it's always, but Gosh. but like I, and I think about like that stuff, and I'm like, how much I lo- like. There's nothing that any of them could do that I wouldn't like. Dude, I I'm crazy about those kids. Sure. I, I'm, yeah. Both me and Fran. I mean, we just eat them up. Mm. And I mean, there's times, sure, right? Oh, where it's come like, on, yeah, it's parenthood. A, you know, <laughs> it's like, get your butt in there. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But I like. I feel like one of the main things that I. So so for instance, we'll go to, we're taking when we take them on a trip, or we're going to go to a Disney World or or something. Although I'll, I may not never go to Disney World again, but. That makes too we went. We went every year for. I've been there every year for forty nine years of my life because I grew up in Florida. My daughter's been there for her birthday every year. This is since since she was one, and this is her first year we didn't go. Yeah. But we try to teach them a lesson. We're like, we're not going to put our money, and we're even if nobody knew about it, even if we went and didn't take any pictures or didn't post it, it, it still comes down to your integrity. What are you going to support? And it was a it was a great teaching opportunity for our kids because they loved it. I mean, mm-hmm. all of our hardcore memories of of 
the holiday season and my daughter's birthday, which is this month, has taken place in this. We stay in the same campground that my dad took me when I was their age. Wow. And so everything is so wrapped around that, and we just made a decision as a family that we are we are going to live by integrity. Even that's the, that's the rule about integrity, doing what's right even when nobody's watching. So even if nobody knows, you can't say don't support this, and then you go support it. So I told our girls, we will live by integrity. It was tough. So what were you saying about your planning a trip with the kids? Well, like when, like, for instance, like you're saying with Disney World, her place, like, I'd be like, hey, let's go. Like, let's let's go get in the car, right? And then you're trying to put one in a car seat, and they're <laughs> like, I just want to stay here. I just want to play with, you know, whatever. I just want to break your stuff. Yeah. Like, and so, <laughs> like, in and I will be putting them in a car seat and, I mean, just kicking, fighting, right? And the tendency yep. is to be like, force them in the car seat, <laughs> right, right. snap it shut, shut yeah. the door, right? But the other day I was like, okay, you're going to go exorcist on me. And, I mean, he just like <laughs> full on the baby's like, you know, back curled, uh-huh. like, ah. And I sat there and I just let her have this fit. And I waited till she was exhausted, and then I p- slowly put her arms in the car seat and clipped it together. And I'm in, and then you know, five minutes later, we're at the beach or whatever it is, and I mean, she's having an absolute blast. And yeah, and I think, and I just had the thought of like, man, and this is every day I have thoughts like this mm. that it's like God's going, hey, I'm trust me. And, and if there's one thing that I tell my kids over and over, just listen. Yeah. yeah. Just listen, right? Like, like I have better plan. I know you don't even mm. have a clue of what I know that you guys don't. And, and you don't even have a clue of how much more I am for you. Even in the fun stuff, yep. I want you to have fun just as much as you do. In fact, I'm, I know better at what to do for you to have fun than you do. Yeah. Right. Like you think, you know, but you don't know all the options out there. Yeah. And, and like it's the heart I, of the father, I, and I'm like, man, yeah. does God really love me like that? Does He really does He really want me to have like incredible time, like like fun, right? Fun times too, because does like he, you said earlier, you alluded to. Most people think when you become a Christian and you follow you follow the Lord that your your life is not is not fun. It's boring, and no. it's 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 not like I, in my book I use the Ned Flanders example, right? Homer Simpson's next door neighbor. You know, he's got the mustache and he's got the cardigan sweater, and everyone thinks, oh, you're a Christian, yeah, you're Ned Flanders, mm-hmm. and it's not like that. But one of the other important things is when we realize what your point is about how he relates to us and how, especially, I don't have a son, but that father-son relationship between between God and us and and, and the father-son relationship between a, an earthly father and an earthly son or an earthly daughter, when you think about this in this New Age world, is we've been to conferences where, you know, really famous people will get up and say, well, God, the universe, or whatever you believe in. And this is where I have a problem, because think about this. No, it's not. Now, I'm not going to force you, and I'm not going I'm, I'm to be one of those people who say, you're doing it wrong, but I will not agree to God, the universe, or whatever because of this, because we serve a jealous God, and it says that in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And if we say to one of those people, hey, but we serve a jealous God, they're like, well, why would I want to worship a God who's jealous? That's not good. That's not the God that I want to worship. And I say, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me ask you, David, this as a parent. Let's say you're at the park, all right, and, and you're there with your son. And he's playing, he's doing all these things, and he's doing a really good job. He's being nice with all the other kids. And and somebody walks up to you and says, that young man over there, 
he's, a, he's just a good young man. And the guy next to you goes, thank you. I appreciate that. You'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are, what are you taking thanks for? That's, that's my kid. That's the fruit of my labor. That's the one I put, poured all my love into. Why would you take that? Because I'm his father. I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. That is my kid. So a jealous God wants to be that way. Plus, a jealous God means what? He's a relational God. It means he cares. Mm-hmm. I would be more worried. I would tell those people, I would be more worried if he wasn't jealous. Well, it's like a, if he, it's your if spouse. If he said, I didn't care. Yeah. If, someone, if she said, yeah. hey, David, you know That's what? True. Go out and have fun with as many women as you want. I'd be like, don't you care? I love yeah. you, but I don't I'm really good. care. I'm like... <laughs> I want you to be jealous. <laughs> I don't want you to like that. So I think that's a really important concept it's, that you brought up. There's a difference between jealous and controlling. There's a huge difference. And I think that when we don't, we don't you know, do a word study in semantics and understanding, you know, the syntax and the word order, of course, and, and when you look into, you know, theology, you know, it's jealous and not controlling, mm-hmm. jealous and like relational. That my love for you is so deep and and so wide and so expansive and so intimate that I no, it's not okay that you go run around. Right. <laughs> no, it's not okay that you take credit for my child. No, it's not okay because I'm. We are relational. We are connected by something so divine and 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 so deep and so expansive that you cannot you cannot blur those lines. So. It's again. It's not about me enforcing something on someone's belief system. It's a matter of you understanding how special and intimate that is. It's so different than than you know this whatever you believe. You know, it's it's just such a it's just different. You know, it's just different. It's it's sacred. It's sacred and it's beautiful. But at, at mm. the same time, just so people are clear, you know, people have to come at the right time for the right reasons. Um, and I'll give you a perfect example of this. When we were in Nashville, one of the bucket list things, we saw Kiss, right? Kiss was coming. I'm like, babe. I'm like, let's not just go. Let's one of get... his bucket list yeah. things, not mine. I had to drag her. I told you, I absolutely love music. I go, babe. I go, bucket list. I go, let's not go, just go. Let's get like really good seats, right? So as we're walking into the Kiss concert, and I've seen this several different places, there's these guys out there with bullhorns and the big signs, and they're literally yelling at people with bullhorns, you're going to hell, Right, <laughs> and I look at her, and she looks at me, and she goes, "Who are you getting? What do you, think you their, <laughs> What do you think their conversion rate is? You know?" And I'm like, "It's not good." You and we, know? you know what? He might be like the guy in Italy. You never know. <laughs> he might be the guy. <laughs> and so we go into the concert, and the the screens drop, and the fire comes out, and at the first, and we, we did, we went all in. I mean, we went face paint all in. We got, you know, and it was. And it was awesome. Remember, I grew up with Kiss with the old-fashioned 1970s mask that you know, with the little rubber band in the back. But it was about 35, 40 minutes into the concert, and Gene's up there, and the blood's coming, and there's like black cats on the screen and all kind of dark symbolism. And he's, you know, just wiggling his tongue with blood. And she looks at me, and she's like, I'm out. <laughs> she's like, I, I just can't, I can't anymore. Do it. And I'm I like, hey, you know what? And I can separate these two. I'm like, okay, bucket list, you know, I... I felt both. I felt convicted that I, I really shouldn't be there. It did get really dark. You know, I know it's a spiel. It's an act. Um, I went to a band. You guys heard of Slayer? Mm-hmm. So I went to a Slayer concert back in the day, and um, I didn't really like him. I wasn't a fan. And um, my two buddies at the time, they were personal friends with him. And so these guys are out there, you know, and the lyrics are really dark, and they're heavy metal, you know, banging the heads. And these guys go backstage after the concert. And so I couldn't go backstage 
But they're back there for like 45 minutes and they come out and I'm like, what's going on back there? It's chaotic, right? It's nuts. And he's like, no. Lead singer's back there playing uh, cards with his wife and his two teenage kids playing cards. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh. So it's what it is is it's an act. It's it's a facade, but what the audience doesn't know, they don't. Most people don't see that guy back there playing cards with his wife and kids, turning it on and off. They just see that, and and they go into it. And the word says you can't do that. You can't lead people down a false path and say, well, it was just an act. Right. I didn't know. Yeah. There are consequences for that stuff. So, I do I do believe that people don't. The worst thing you could do is try and force something on somebody. You have children, right? Do they like broccoli? One, I think, may. Yeah. yeah. Our little, yeah, our little one. one who's two. If you ask the seven-year-old there for broccoli, she'll fight you tooth and nail. She'll, we actually made her one time stand in a square. This sounds really bad. <laughs> but I said, so until funny. you try this, you're going to stand in that little square in the kitchen. And <laughs> how much? An hour and a half later? Probably. Standing there? Yeah. Wow. And, and we gave out before she did because I felt like now it's torture. But she would have stood there all night because she didn't want broccoli. We I couldn't think it was broccoli. I think it was like... <laughs> I don't know. It was just dinner. Well, we, we couldn't force that. We couldn't force that on her. And so I just want to make sure, like, I came in here today, and I'm always like, temper yourself, Dave. Like, if, if we talk to somebody or we go on air, like, temper yourself. Don't get excited. But Let it rip. You see what happens. That's, like, that's our slogan, actually. It, it comes out, but at the same point, I realize that you can't force, the, one of the one things you can't do, you can't force things on people. You can lead them, you can show them scripture, you can love on them, but you can't force it. That people have to come at their own time. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't ready before then. I had to have that moment where God said, you're going you're gonna to end up in a bad place. You're chasing something. It was like that carrot in front of a, you know, you remember the, they used to have the, with a carrot in front of the donkey pulling the cart, mm-hmm. and the donkey would never quite get to it? That was, that was music for me. That was ecstasy for me. Um, it was that carrot that was there that would give me a temporary happiness, but you walked out going, this isn't reality. Like, I can buy this for a couple hours on the weekend, but there's, you know, five more days in the week. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I had to come to that realization. Well, so I've been, I love what, what y'all are saying. I've, I've been in AA for 20, well, have to edit that out. Well, I've been in a 12-step program for um, 20, 21 years. Coming up on 22, actually. Congratulations. Congrats. So, Huge. like, I still, to this day, like, I sponsor guys and take guys through the steps. Um, and before starting all this, I had I was a professional counselor, and I was running, um, helping run with some partners, some transitional living homes out in Dallas. Mm. We just worked with guys after guys after guys after guys. Wow. But some of the best best stuff um, that I've heard has been between counseling and AA. Um, and the other day, uh, one of the guys said this in a meeting. He, he said, some days, some days I'm the, some days I'm the teacher, some days I'm the student, and some days I'm the lesson. Yeah. Mm. That's good. That That's is really good. good. Yeah. There's so many good. Uh, someone else said the other day, this lady started and she said, there's rain on the plane in Spain. And then she goes, there's rain on the plane in Spain. And, you know, people sitting around are probably like, okay, we got a live one. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, that's the phrase that I had to repeat over and over while I'm sitting in a doctor's office trying to learn how to speak again Mm. from, from, um, from drinking for 20 years or so. Wow. 
Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. But wow. like some of the best, one of the things I think with AA that I love so much is that I feel like it is how church really should be in, in a sense, like more like a hospital than than like a pageant show or like yeah. a yeah. Like a social club, um, it, it is. Everyone comes to AA. No one co- goes there on a winning streak, right? Like it, everyone comes there because they're broken, yeah. right? Everyone That's comes right. there because they're in need. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's the passage? Um, the the healthy don't need a physician. Yeah, That's right. You know, and so you're coming there now. AA isn't, despite what a lot of people, a lot of some Christians would say like, oh, like, you know, it's a universalist or whatever. AA isn't about defining God at all. AA is really, if you really actually read the steps and do the steps, it's really about the fact that you're not God. There is one and it's not you. Yeah. That's That's really what it's about. It's saying, hey, there is one. We're not telling you who it is or what to do, but we're just saying, hey, it can't be you. Right? Which I think in a lot of ways, at least on my side, I... Some people just get it, I guess, some, but, like, I I needed that humble, like, that continually. I still need yeah. this humbling. You die to yourself. Yeah, well, and, and just really, like, practical, like, I play God, right? I try and get my needs met. That's 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 my deal. Like, I try and meet my needs when the truth is not, not even that God will meet my needs if I trust him or whatever, if you're a— uh, if you're uh, Assembly of God or uh, Pentecost, like oh, if yeah. you trust them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got a cool story on that too. But <laughs> it, it, it's like he's already met them. Yeah. Like yeah. he, you're trying to meet things that are already been met in a sense. And it's like, bro, just let stop. And and I think, I think in a lot of ways it, it, it's really more, I think with evangelism specifically, I think it's more about – Love, like the goal should be loving people, really. Yeah. Should be loving people and in those in those times, in those moments of like of just praying and going, Okay, God, what do you want me to say? Like how did because man, there's been things that I've said that I've been like, Okay, that's the act, exact opposite. And dudes have come to know and like Yeah. And it's never one person, by the way. So no one can really take it's never like, Oh, this one guy yeah. did it in or this one girl did this and and then I came to the Lord. Yeah. It's because of them. It's like, no, it's not. Usually there's a, a slew series, of different yeah. people. Yeah. And they each play a little role. Oh, yeah. And God's the orchestrator so for she's, all of process. She started that with me, and then it came to a point where she goes, I can't take you any farther as, a, as your wife and a woman. You need a male role model, a, a spiritual father mentor. And, yeah. and that was the person that the, the next part of it was a guy who we, we sat in his church, and, 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 and everybody responds to different leaders and different people. I like mm-hmm. a no BS leader. I want mm-hmm. someone that's going to say it like it is and call it out and not sugarcoat anything. And this person was. Like, he would just... Right there, I was like, "Whoa, that's bold," but I like it. You know, every and, sheep needs a shepherd. And he you said, "What?" That, have a covering. Remember, he said, "There's knowledge teachers and there's love teachers. Knowledge teachers puff up, puff up, right? Like I'm smarter than you. This is what you're supposed to do. And mm. love teachers build up, mm. right? And that really made a, a lot because what that's what we see today, especially on social media. Everybody has their three steps, their five steps. Everybody has this is what you should be doing, mm. you know. And and everybody's an authority on something. Um, and so we have a lot of knowledge teachers out there that puff up. This is what I've done. This is what I do to make millions. This is what I do to be happy. But love teachers build up. 
And it's really hard. It's really hard in our society and our structure because because of this phone right here, because of social media, because of the word significance, we are really truly, that is, when we talk about drugs and addiction, whether it's alcohol, ecstasy, um, well, the new drug and addiction is significance. And significance is that little that little heart there. It's that little comment box. It's that little like box. I mean, when 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 we're training people to say, if you can say something and not check your phone to see if you got validation, to see who thought you were significant enough, if you can say something with that kind of power and not need that validation, not need that significance, then you're in a good spot. But if you're saying something and you're constantly, I need that validated. I need people to say that I'm right about that or they agree with me. And if they don't, then I'm going to feel bad about myself. That's that's a dangerous place. Well, we see this box. It's it's done so many things. When when our kids are are half a country away from my parents and they could FaceTime in real time and see them and almost like they're there. That's a plus. Mm-hmm. You know, when when we can do telemedicine, that's a plus. When when we could when we can do these things, but it's it's a slippery slope and uh, it's sometimes it becomes our new idol, especially when it comes to significance, and that's scary to me. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, it's like it's supposed to reach, you know, the gospel specifically is to reach all four corners of the earth, right? All, to all nations and all people. Well, that's what technology gives us the ability to do, right? So it is a double-edged sword, and we're able to reach people through technology. But at the same time, we can't. It cannot become our idol. It cannot become our god. It cannot become that controlling, you know, vice in our life that then, uh, in, you know either prevents us from moving forward or, or second guess ourselves, or, you know, try to uh, manipulate things so that we're fitting into some box literally. Um, and that's where I think where we lose it is we just, we, we end up, we end up being ruled by something else mm-hmm. and um, eventually we can lose our own ethos through that. Yeah. hundred percent. Would you say that um, like, Hey, no, no phones like go straight. Is it Amish? Like uh, yeah, the straight. Amish don't. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, shoot. Go straight that way, or 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 like, hey, it's not really an external issue; it's a heart issue. And like, if you like, everything's good. I'll ask you this. I'll ask you this. Could, could you have a, a a couple of drinks? No. Okay. So what we see is uh, we is, can try. You want to see what happens? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't exactly. Do that. I mean, I I've been right right there. Um, and what we see is is left alone like this thing will never go away it, the 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 ability like i wrote a book on it and sometimes my wife is sitting there and angelique will go dave you wrote a book on being turned on and you're <laughs> sitting there you know you almost walked into a pole because you're sitting there on your phone <laughs> and and she goes it's really incongruent and and i realized i'm like it's the same thing like you'll you'll never beat this you know, I, I, I talked to a, um, a doctor from Georgetown who, for my book, who had studied this, and he's like, the dopamine effects from, there's reasons why the, the lights are on there. There's reason why the sounds are on there. And he goes, and your kids know, even when it's on the table and they're having your attention, the kids, like our kids, like, no, mom and dad, it's not good enough that it's turned off or it's on silent. Put it in a drawer. Mm-hmm. Our children at seven and 10, put it in a drawer. Because we can't. Our beat business it. is on there. In We're not words, on there messing around. But, but that's part sometimes of sometimes we are. It, well, the it genie's already the out world. of the, yeah. the genie's already out of the box. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so you just like just like somebody with, with with an addiction has to be able to say no. It's a little bit different because 
you're going to be able to use this. If you're not, you're going to be locked out of a lot of commerce, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, you're going to be locked out of a lot of things. So it's not an all or nothing. The, the point I was trying to make is that you'll never beat it. Mm. You know, no one says, hey, I, I've beaten alcoholism. You're, you're always going to have always it recovering. there. You're always in, and so no one's ever going to beat this phone and say I've conquered it. You're always going to have that temptation, and that's why it's an addiction, a dopamine addiction, just like you would have with any other kind of narcotic or any kind of sex addiction or any kind of alcoholism. It's always going to be a temptation to abuse it, mm-hmm. and you'll never beat it. Mm. I do admire the Amish, though, for that. <laughs> I feel you. What, what I love about with the gospel is like the freedom with it, right? It's going, hey, it's a heart issue, right? Like in, yeah. And with, with alcohol addiction, drug addiction for me, I mean, I, I literally didn't think I was going to live into my 20s, right? Like mm-hmm. I, did not, I did not see myself going anywhere but death or, or yeah. prison. That's, I mean, I thought— I've been there. <laughs> I, I was—I mean, I had literally at 16, I'd been arrested 15 times, and I was heading into my fourth rehab— and like my parents were approaching the judge saying, Hey, how can we emancipate him? Yeah. Mm. You know, one of the, there's a Texas judge there. He said, Son, do you have anything to say for yourself? And I said, Go fuck yourself to the judge. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's like, All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's like, You have, you know, he, he basically, Gave me every violation that you could. And I was I was probably gonna only do probably a year and a half. Well, a year and a half with good behavior, so I probably would have done. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been. It probably yeah. been more, but um, but got like went to the last rehab. God saved me in that nine months in that in that um, it's a juvenile place out in Texarkana, Texas. And when I came back. Literally, uh, I'm going, I mean, come came back a different person. Like when, mm. when you hear the words like reborn, yep, yep, it's like such a foreign con, but man, I don't know of another way to describe it other than like totally. I mean, even food tasted different for me, interesting. Like, I mean, it, it's like for me, it's so sudden black, white, like yeah. old person, new person. Mm. Um, now, I mean, I wasn't new, great person, right? Like I still suck, but like, <laughs> like I literally was, everything was different. Well, that's why he's so personal. You know, I think 100%. some people, some people need a process, you know, they need a process and, and, you know, like you said, all those kind of dots and, and it's gradual and, and then other people, you know, in your case, like it was, it got blown up in your face, yes. you know, and you literally supernaturally needed to be that changed that quickly because in, in your case, you probably would have been dead. Yeah. Right. And so, and that's how personal he is. He's like, you know, the plans I have for you, you know, need to, need to come to fruition, need to prosper. And the only way I can do that is through a complete, you know, being completely reborn right now. And I think everyone's so, you know, wired so differently. His, his plans for everyone are so unique. And so I love it when I watch the process in some, like his was such a process. 20 and, years, like, you know, you know from one it, addiction to another and, and not seeing the light and being from a, a, a Catholic background where I'll tell you this for sure, hundred percent when I was a kid, Hey, stay away. Anyone who says they're born again, Christian, stay away from them. <laughs> so I thought born again, Christians were bad. 
when when all it really means is that you accepted Jesus as an adult. Oh. You know, and, and I've been through the process. I remember I had a nephew similar to you. He was 10 years younger than me, and he he uh, pulled a fire alarm in seventh grade, dropped out in eighth grade, wrecked a car, um, overdosed, um, and I sat there looking at him going, hey, and his his thing, you know, I had to talk about he wanted to get F the world tattooed across his neck. That was I his, love this guy. Yeah, yeah. that was his I tattoo. And I looked at him, and yeah. he was. we were talking in the garage. I remember it like yesterday, and I said, hey, this is not good. You're going to end up dead or in jail. He's like, yeah, Uncle Dave, I know, I know. <laughs> but at, even when you've counseled people, right, you have people saying, I know, I know, but you know deep down inside they don't mean it. And that's why you can't force it on them. And so at 19, he gets a 16-year-old girl pregnant. And I'm at their wedding, and she's showing. And I'm like, this is a disaster. <laughs> he's, he's all, you know, tatted up. He hates the world. He's got no job prospects. He doesn't have his GED yet. She's showing. She's 16. This is a disaster, right? I got choked up about this the other day because I was talking about it on our, our, our podcast. That little baby that they decided to keep mm-hmm. at 16 and 19, she just graduated with honors from high school and got a full scholarship. So they, cool. they've, been, they've been married almost 20 years. They have three children. You know, He's got a great job. She's got a great job. Now, not everybody makes it, but they know the Lord now. I don't, they weren't saved immediately. They just made that decision to get married and have that baby mm-hmm. probably on a whim mm-hmm. when a lot of people wouldn't. But what I'm saying is, we don't see what's happening, the fruit that's going to happen later on from a, a decision. You know, the, um, it was um, Charles Spurgeon who talks about the, the free agency of man and the will of God when they can intersect. That's, that's a beautiful place, but most time they don't because one of the things we learn most is that God has given us free will. He is not a micromanager. And some of the decisions, Spurgeon says, uh, decisions in our life hang on hang on a, on a thread of us saying yes or no to something. Like you said there, you would end up dead or in jail. One more drink, one more drug for me, one more bad decision could end up dead or in jail, mm-hmm. right? And for some reason, we got an, another chance. Some people don't. Some people never wake up. They take a drug, and they never wake up and get another chance. So we have a responsibility if we do have that chance to share that story with someone else who needs that chance. Yeah, 100%. I love this guy. I want to meet him. Yeah. He, is like, that's, I mean, I get, I get him. And when counseling people, right, like in counseling, I mean, I'm so effed up in so many different ways. Like, I feel like I it, what, what made me decent at counseling was being able to relate to just about anything. I'm like, hmm, I can put myself in your shoes. Right. Oh, okay, you got... Deep shame issues, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, oh, you have this. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> you have it. So, so this morning when I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it shortly. So I'm in this rehab, right? And Texarkana, Texas. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. Many times. I'm sorry. Driven through there <laughs> many it times. Smells horrible. Uh-huh. It's the paper mill in that town. It's like it's a split town. Half of them, uh, half of the town is like super racist whites, and the other half of the town is black. And so, like, there's like constant turmoil yep. in, wow. in the town. And and so we lived in this. I mean, it was, it was just a hardcore place. It was, you know, you're in groups all day long. If I put my leg up like this, I, I get written up i have to have all four i have to have both legs on the ground and and then your chair and you have to put your hands on your knees 
have to listen. Like you have you super straight. If you screw up within three times that week, you go to um, boot camp for the weekend, and you don't get your two hours of of relaxing. And so, wow. like I'm in this place and I'm spitting on um, spitting on the carpet. I'm spitting on people. I'm like trying to fight the biggest guys there. Not because I'm tough, just because I like I want someone to like punch me and get me out of there. I'm writing my signature on there. Fuck you is my signature for yep. everything. Wow. I'm kicking out windows. Like I'm wow. I'm just like absolutely horrible. And so I had I had said I'm not coming out of a room. There's nothing you do to make me do that. And so I'm third day into it, right? On my protest. They're like, you know, you're going to get hungry. <laughs> like, there's only wow. so much water you can drink in this room. And my buddy goes, hey, I'm going to church this morning. It's the only chance you get to get out of this place for a little bit. Mm. Do you want to get in the druggy buggy and uh-huh. come with everyone <laughs> to church? And I'm like, mm. I'm like, not a chance. You know, I grew up in churches. My dad was a deacon, like, like assembly of God, like uh, yeah. very yeah. spirit filled. Yeah, I was like, no way. He's like, the pastor has these two hot daughters. <laughs> they're these twins, <laughs> and they're smoking hot. And I said, I'm in. Yeah, oh my God. So <laughs> the motivation was there. Yeah, and uh. and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go. Like, you're monitored constantly. There's nothing, you know. But yeah. in your head, you're like, all right, I'll find a way. So we hop in the drugway. We had to the church. We go through this church, and at the end of this sermon, I mean, we were we were our, as a group. We're all in the back, about twenty guys. Um, at the end of this church service, someone from that town, maybe an angel, I don't know, um, but some random person there at that church, and I could not, I didn't listen to even a single word of that sermon. Um, this guy comes up to me and grabs me by the shoulder and he says, Hey buddy, your name's David, right? I'm like, like, do I have a name tag on me? No. Nothing. Wow. Right? And he goes, he goes, David Fields. I'm like, Wow. Uh, you crackhead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, God wants me to tell you something. Um, and he and he starts going into he started off with stop judging the pastor and worry about the message. And he starts going into, like, real specific stuff. Like, I started to, like, I started immediately as this guy started talking. Like, it not in a charismatic Benny Hinn, pass you out in the Holy Spirit way. Yeah. yeah. But I got weak where I could barely stand. Oh, sure. Spirit. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a spiritual, uh, supernatural, like, thing. It was, I was scared. I knew at that moment God Mm. was real yeah mm-hmm. that's what i got from that whole thing i mean he was he you know you know the dudes that are like mind teller or whatever yeah just like take i bet there's someone significant in your yeah. life right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah there is yeah. how yeah. they know yeah <laughs> it, it it's like the the things this guy was like i mean it was but it wasn't just that it was like the confirmation in internally what happened to me mm. for the next two months like I didn't. I don't think I'd stop crying. I mean, I, wow. I'm a dude who like I wasn't hard. I was scared, but like, and I was like, I mean, I was just mm-hmm. constantly fighting, and like I was just yeah. out of freaking control. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm bawling. I'm reading the Bible every chance that I get it, every little break in between groups. I'm listening to every group. I'm journaling. I'm doing every single thing all day long that I can to get to know God. Wow. And I'm like, I mean, at nighttime, like I, I got a flashlight, got permission by them to let me have a flashlight so I could read the Bible after the lights out. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm reading revelations. I'm like trying to read <laughs> it's yeah. the worst. This one kid across from me uh, one night goes, Dave, what the fuck has happened to you, dude? <laughs> you are crazy. Yeah. He's like, this is like a, a, a repeated offender place. So they're like, yeah, this isn't, um, these are hard kids, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's my, ne- my nephew was at the games. sheriff's ranch, the Florida boys sheriff's ranch. Yeah. It's the same kind of the same program. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, you're the crazy motherfucker in here. Yeah. Like, he's like, <laughs> he's like, now you just can't stop crying and you're just reading the Bible. And I'm like, dude, God is real, man. Wow. He's real. And he's like, Hey, I know. He's like, I, I prayed when I was younger, man. I'm a Christian. I go, no, no, no. And I flip. I go, I just read this. And I flip over and I'm like, if he is lukewarm, he will spit you out of his mouth. <laughs> and this kid got like, drew, like completely out of context, right? Yeah. But like, but, still, yeah. but God uses, use, I think, used a lot of that stuff. But absolutely, through it, I ended up, like it was crazy. This This really hardcore group of guys that God used me to lead them and just naturally. And we ended up turning that house into our, our free times that we had. We'd started doing prayer groups and Bible stuff. I mean, the entire house. Yeah. It was, it was insane. And God was like changing people. It was, it was was incredible. Mm. Yeah. It starts with, you know, if we're going to fix the world, it starts with men, you know, I mean, I, Look, I'm I'm a big champion of women. I know you have daughters. I have daughters, and I'm a big, we both love our wives, and we're champion of women, and we believe in equal rights. What I what I what I mean is, it starts with men. It, it, the biblical house starts with the man, mm-hmm. you know. And we're supposed to we're supposed to honor our wives. We're supposed to lead our children to the faith, and and so when we see men that are working with other men. Um, and we talk about being vulnerable. We talk about those things. I mean, like I told you the other day, I know a guy who is 35 years in recovery and I asked him, I go, what was your turned on moment? And he goes, I was sitting there and I, on my front porch and my hands were full of blood and I heard sirens and I, they were getting closer. He goes, I didn't know what I had just done because I, I was that messed up. He goes, but I knew that they were coming for me. And, um, and he told me this story very vividly. He goes, I was I was at one point on my way to someone's house to kill them, mm-hmm. and um, I stopped off at a place, and this guy talked to me, and he goes, and that guy talked to me about God, and that changed my life. So, I mean, think about That's how cool. he intervenes, and now he, what he does is he talks to the most hardcore bikers, gang members, and stuff who are in addiction programs, in, in 12-step programs, and uh, I'm like, tough dude, you know, like yeah. really tough dude. Like he's doing, he's doing some work that not a lot of people can do, mm-hmm. but it starts with men. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta fix men, and we gotta, we gotta turn them onto the spirit. Yeah, I, and, and I think so. I think well, I don't think I, I mostly go off. I mostly go off my experience, right? Because I don't know a lot of times, or I think I know something, and then a year later, I'm like, wait, I didn't really like that yeah. wasn't right. Right. And so like, I just go a lot off my experience and like, I went through seminary, right. I'm still recovering from it. Right. Like it was, 
dude, that, I mean, just bad. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to like distance so much from a lot of that theology. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's bad or like, but what I am saying is that mindset isn't because it, it, it gets away from relationship. Mm. And so beginning of this year, me and my wife really, I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not having another year that I have any sort of regret or anything that I'm like, man, I could have done. I'm leveling up. I'm on every day. I'm leveling up. And here's the things I want to do. I'm going to start jujitsu. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to like from those things to, Hey, we're going to get roles really right in our marriage because God says it. Mm -hmm. And so we literally was like, Hey, there are roles. Yes, we are equal. There you go. But we're different. Right. That's her jam, right and there that, too. We are like <laughs> since when? Since that's why a lot of this stuff lately. It's like since when? Like two things being different means that they have different, like that they're not the same of value. It's like, hey, celebrate <laughs> the difference. Like, yeah. And so, so I literally was going, okay, I do agree. It starts with like it's 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 more than just important for the man because it's like. Men has to own, has to ingrain it so much so that his wife can respond, and, and and is able to be in that safe place of just being able to just respond. And as a man, you want that, yeah, right. And yep. so we're like, okay, washer in the water word. So we're on like day two hundred and ninety something of reading the Bible over my wife, mm. right. And so. And we'll miss a day, and then, like, the next day I'll do two. Like, we're like, okay, like, we're super <laughs> regimented on it now. I love it. Um, but, like, we don't sit around and talk about it or have this. I'm just going to do it. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to do it because God said it, and that simple. And then I'm like, I'm going to listen to her in, in an understanding way. You'll like this one. This may help you. So, okay. And, I, and every guy that I've told this to is, so far has been like, oh, man, because it's – I don't know. That guy needs to be told it different. Like, I think women sometimes may try and tell a guy it, but it not in the same language because we are very different. Men and women are very different. Absolutely. Women primarily feel their way through life, right? And so, like, feelings can trump, like, other things, yep. especially really strong feelings. Yep. It's not that they don't think or logical or rational. 100% are. It's not that we don't have feelings. We 100% do. But I lead my life through thought and ration, and like I, I work things out through thought and ration. Women a lot of times work things out through feeling. Like yes. it's a whole other thing. And so, so with with my wife, every night, not not every single night, but almost every night, something throughout the day, I'm like, all right, like talk to me, and and she'll be like, about what? I'm like, what's what's wrong, what's going on, download your day, like, and I just begin to just listen. Mm-hmm. And then it goes from one layer and then begins to go to the another layer. And this is like, it's insane how much women like process throughout the day. And then it's like, it'll go pretty soon after the first layer. I need to hang out layer. with Fran. It go down to this next layer that's like, well, you know, you're mad at me because of this. And I said that. All those things are false, but I don't say a word about it. I listen to her, and I'm like, I hear you. What else? Tell me more. Get it all out. I'm not stopping until you get it out. We're not going to quit this conversation until you get it all out. So, like, 
We can take as long as you want tonight, but like I'm not, and I and I'm I'm going to be the judge right. of it, not you, because she'll tell me it's all good. Yeah. I'm like, it's not. I can see, like until you have that glow in you, I'm mm. not going to stop. And so she then will go into and usually, you know, <laughs> almost every night, like crying, it's some sort of tear, and. A lot of times with us, it'll be like with something I said or a facial expression that I made or yeah, in, in how she interpreted it, how it made her feel. And then sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll some, just to make sure I understand, I'm like, what I'm hearing you saying is this. And then I'll be like, no. That's really <laughs> good like, on your part. That's really good. But, but she'll say a lot of things that are like, crucially incorrect and yep. that that is why it's led her to assume these things it's like you thought when i said this i meant th- i didn't mean that but i don't i don't correct any part of it because as soon as i correct one thing i say friend that's not true mm. uh, yeah yep. you close off I, and good. you know why because i did not validate that emotion it is not about the purpose of her talking is her to share, like, to get the emotion out. She's like, it doesn't matter to her whether that's true or not, which is crazy to guys, I think, because it's like, how could it not matter? Right, right. We're when, logical. and they're... When I talk to someone, right, I'm trying to, what I'm saying is, the words that I'm saying is what I'm trying to express. For women, it's like, the word, even the words don't necessarily matter as much as the feeling behind them or the or how it yeah. how those words make them feel. Feel. Mm. And so, like, I'll just let, I mean, dude, she's told me so many nights, so much stuff. I'm like, oh my God, that is like, like, so much of that is not correct. I actually think or feel the opposite. Right. Right. And, and it's a misinterpretation of, and, of what we've seen of, of the character. And we, we read it the wrong way and we make assumptions. And if we don't have the lines of communication open, then the assumptions are totally wrong. Uh, and she said, we're not going to bed. And, and, you know, guys will think, hey, we can fix this with sleep or sex. Mm-hmm. If we fix it with sex first and sleep second, I'll be up in the morning and everything will be fine. And, and we learned early on that she's like, that's not going to work. We have mm-hmm. to talk it out. And I don't care if we're up to 3 o'clock in the morning. We're not going to go to bed on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you don't want I, the sun I, go down on your anger. Well, I, <clears throat> I, I really love what everything that you're sharing here because um, so interestingly enough, um, just through all of our course development and things that we've taught over time and groups that we've led. Um, I remember specifically just God just impressing upon my heart. Cause so many people are like, how do you balance it all? How do you do this? And I'm like, God, he's just keeps telling me order, 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 order is there's no balance here. And so I was like, well, God, what do you have to say about order? You know, what is it that you have to say about order? Why, you know, what is this exercise that I can give people? What can I help people do that's pragmatic? And he took me really straight to Genesis 1. And and I looked at how he laid out everything from the foundations of the world to man, woman, and be fruitful and multiply. And there is an order. And this is so important what you're hitting on because when you look at the first thing he did, the first thing he did was he hovered. He hovered, and it was a dark, formless void. Well, when you're in a dark, formless void in your life, it's it's probably time for you to hover and know who God is because he's the only one that can flip the switch, turn on the light, and start to create an environment where things can then have life and be fruitful and multiply. Like, it all starts with... You know, understanding that order has to come out of chaos because if we stay in the chaos, we're never going to fix anything. And then you go back to relationship. He didn't. He didn't make um, 
Adam and Eve at the same time. And he didn't make Adam and then say, okay, Adam, what do you think about this Eve chick? You know, should she be 36, 24, 36 with blonde hair and blue eyes? No, he put him to sleep because he can't have a say about it at all. And that's the whole point. Like, like let God be God and let you be man and let she be woman, you know? And essentially we are all you know made uniquely in, in his image, but in the wholeness and fullness of him, which means we are representing all sides of him, mm. all sides you know, the man for his, his strength and his covering and his power and his vision and his ability to to lead the family and and be in that role. Yet this the world is teaching that that testosterone is toxic for crying out loud. Oh. You know, we're just in such a weird place and time and that women are so empowered these days that they're cutting off and castrating their own spouses and they're sitting in the background. I'm like, what's going on here? The reason why your house is disrupted and in order, you know, in chaos is because we're out of order. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. But hey, what do you think about this though? I, I'm like, I think it, for me, it's real clear of like, hey, you know, as you know, for the man, lead, protect, provide, right? Yes, that doesn't mean hey, you have to make all the money. Yes, that doesn't no, mean no. But what I'm, it does is like you're responsible for it being made. You're responsible. You hold it on your shoulders, and as a lead part of it, you have to take the you you need to initiate and create this environment. It's on you ultimately I, when it falls back to you. But I think a lot, I think a lot of times though. So uh, well, I'll just use experience. I, I do better with experience, right? Like, of course, I'm not a. I'm not, there's a lot of people that are a lot more smarter than me, but <laughs> I think of like when I'm being, when I am being weak and I use this word weak, um, it, externally it may look kind of sh- stronger, like holding yourself, but like what's happening to me, I'm like, I'm one friend to validate me or yeah. I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm in feelings, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't have feelings, right? But I don't need validation on them. I don't need, I don't need, um, I don't need to, and I, I'm not going to throw a pity party about like, man, I want you to have sex, but like, no, like all those things are me being weak in a lot of ways. And, but when I'm in a place of strength and I'm growing and I'm focused on what I need to focus on and I'm going, voila, all of a sudden my wife comes under and fall in naturally. Yeah. Right. Like I could throw a pity party and all that stuff and get transactional sex. Right. Or I could lead in a strong way naturally in, and get, and get true, um, true genuine desire. Right. And, and I think, I think that's, so bringing it back to talking, talking with my wife, this thing, and I, I still don't think I have it figured out completely, but this thing that I've done this year has been probably one of the most transformative. I've seen my wife get into her feminine yeah. as I'm in my masculine, yeah. like more than ever by like 10, 10x. Yeah, I think I think I've it's something really good it. you're on to. Well, it's primal. I, I feel it. Yeah. I, I'm wearing the same way, you know, and I, and I totally, when you say that, I totally understand it because you're right. When there's ways to force things and there's ways the the natural order of things and it just works out easier within you you both come into this agreement where things are working out better and like wow it could have been this way the whole time if i would have just done more of this well and i i, I would be it would be kind of a covert contract type of deal of like i'm gonna 
do okay, I'm over here and I'm doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like now you should the but as I've grown and and have been learned and have really dropped that and I'm gonna yeah. like just be a strong strong man. Um what it, and honestly a lot of it's just like let yourself be who you already are. Um like I've I mean we have I mean we have more sex now than we've ever had in our entire life. Like we we have more fun now than yeah. our entire life. And mostly initiated, not by me either. And I'm not throwing pity parties or manipulation right. or right. all those things that are really weak as a man Yep. Um, to do. But, and I think a lot of it has to do with a lot, a lot of it has to do with this deal where I'm listening and I'm the trick on it with the guys though. This is the trick with guys. <laughs> like you'll hear it, you'll hear and they'll start going through and they'll start sharing and they'll be like, you got to try it. But like. They'll share stuff. They'll share their, f- and then they start to get into the feelings. Most of the time, it's usually surface level little stuff, right. and then it's like then it starts to get into feelings and what, you know, the secret things that are going on in her heart throughout the yeah. day, and and then I'll hear it like I'll and I will, I I don't know I don't have a lot of language around validate. I'm like okay, how do I valid like how do I stamp that emotion for her? I don't know how I validate that. I'm like. Yeah. You're, mm-hmm. You know, and she's like, sometimes she'll be like, ah, you know, it's stupid or it doesn't matter or she'll dismiss it. I'd be like, no, what, you matter. Your feelings matter. What, like how you feel matters. And if I tell her, if she says one thing that's wrong and I'm like, friend, that's not true. I didn't think that. Immediately. Yeah, closed. Immediately what she hears and that I, what she, her feelings aren't valid. I'm like, that's not what I said. That's not what. Of course your feelings yeah. are valid. I'm telling you what you said is not true. And she's like, it, but for me, I thought she was trying to communicate like a man. Right. And she's she's really communicating her emotion and how she feels. She's communicating her heart. Listen to her in an understanding way, right? So, like, I'll listen. And if I, I, if I don't correct any single thing on yep. there, I really hear her out. I wait till she's, like, got it out in her clothes. Dude, it's incredible. David, you could save marriages with that right there. Because what you said, really, it's valid. And we only you know the whole, whole company and concept. Well, we only know it through experience. Like, yeah. you're saying that. And, and we went, we ran into a couple yesterday, and they were wearing these shirts that said one-year anniversary, you know. So we congratulated them. I'm like, you know, like, there's not too many things good about getting older, right? Our bodies deteriorate and you know we get wrinkles but there's one thing positive about getting older is that we can learn from experience and the same goes for our marriage mm-hmm. the fact that you're saying those things and I'm sitting over here on the other side of the table with you going man I mean you're exactly right it, truer words never spoken but what happens is we're having people come into these relationships just like we have these kids my my daughter's at homeschool and she's like dad what is this a parallelogram and she's all frustrated she goes why do I have to learn this and I thought to myself I've never used a parallelogram in my life. Yeah. And, and I did a little poll on my on my social media and like 90% of the people never used a parallelogram. So like, who cares? Like, we're not teaching about the important things. You know, um, we, we were in a, in a Greek church, the priest that married us was Greek. I mean, was, was married. The Greek priest was married. And we went into this premarital counseling and it was interesting because he goes, have you guys had relations yet? And we're like, yeah, you know? He's like, okay, I'd like you to stop. Mm. 
And he's like, I know you can't, you know, you, you can't go back. You can't reclaim it. He, he goes, but there's a reason why I'd like you to stop. Because because in your marriage, if you're going to have a long marriage, there will be times when sex will not be their saving grace. Their sex will not cure all. He and goes, it won't now, be, always be available. And it won't always be available. Yeah. He goes, now when you're young, you know, and you're, you're new, he goes, it, sex is, cures everything. Oh. And it was so true. And then he did us this thing where he had us come into this little back room, and he had her blindfolded. And he goes, now there's 25 little... Post-its marked one through twenty-five all around this room, and there's you know it's like there's all kinds of stuff in the room, tables and chairs. He goes what without kind of, what kind of priest is it? It was yeah. <laughs> he goes without without touching her. He goes, I need you to guide her by your voice and tell her until she gets all twenty-five things. And at first we were like, what's going on? Like this is kind of weird, but we did it. And what was the 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 gist of that exercise? Oh, I mean, it was just well. Even going back to the scripture, you know, John 10, 27, like my sheep hear my voice, you know, it was, it was really about hearing his voice and entrusting him. So what his point was is sex is not always going to be available. If one person is sick or there's a baby or whatever, like sex is not always going to be available. And if it's not available, what's going to happen to your marriage? What's going to happen to your communication? What's going to happen to your intimacy? What's going to happen to the way that you guys connect? And so he taught us in a really small exercise, like that, the importance of connection, the importance of voice, the importance of trust and direction. And so he had to guide me with his voice. Okay. And about two steps from where you are right now, there's, there's two steps down. Okay, so when you come to the edge here, you're going to take one step with your right foot, one step with your left foot. And now when you get to this point at the bottom of this step, I'm going to have you take three more steps over here and then you're going to bend down. You're going to kneel down. There's going to be another post-it note right there. And so it was all about like just really honing in and listening to his voice and being aware of leadership, Mm. you know, and male leadership, the importance of me trusting him, navigating through a minefield essentially, and to be able to pick up on these clues, to pick up on the the gift, to pick up on the next thing that we needed to do together. Mm. And it just was such an important lesson, you know, it was just because, and here's the thing, I'm an only child, you know, and I'm an incredibly strong woman. Like I, I've always had to be. And I, I've, I've always had my own career. I've always made six figures or more at multiple six figures. I've always, you know, spoken to large groups. I've always led rooms. I've always just kind of, I've always gone after sort of the male, you know, industry uh, dominated field yeah. and t- went toe to toe from everything from my years of professional martial arts to where I am now. And it was just, you know, I, I did it in operating rooms too. You know what I mean? It was like, didn't matter. I was just like, wherever I can have the biggest challenge. Yeah. So I needed somebody to put me into a, a, a softening. I need someone to put me in a place where I can feel those things and express those things and and then listen. But yeah. I think what you're, you're speaking of is so important because you know, love doesn't always feel, but it does. And so you not even bringing up what you're feeling about what she's saying shows what you're doing to love her, mm-hmm. you know, by listening. That's a do. It's not, it's not a feel. It's a do. Yeah. And I think that's just important for so many couples and marriages to understand that it's, it's a doing. It's, yeah. it's not yeah. always a feeling. Well, to validate David um, and to show some vulnerability and to circle back to what we talked about earlier about going on cruise control, I'm going to validate exactly what you said and be vulnerable at the same time because there have been plenty of times in the past couple of years even when I've gone on cruise control as a husband and I haven't paid attention to those things. You take it for granted and then you get a really weird wake-up call. You're like, well, what if, what if I'm not enough? 
right? What if what if I'm not fulfilling her needs from from a leadership standpoint, and mm. and then you 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 tell yourself I need to step up. Like I've I've gone into this lull. I've gotten comfortable, and we see this in culture. We see it even in sitcoms, like an Al Bundy syndrome, where Al Bundy's just he's taken his wife for granted, and he's sitting there on the couch with his hand in his pants, and and he's kind of <laughs> given up on life. And we we see it even now with body types. You know, as we're getting back into um, this. When when you do jujitsu, or we're talking about at one point in my life, my body was my was my my image. Everything came through me. I got validated through my muscles, and then it became something else. But then um, I let that go, and I got on cruise control, and I started to think to myself, "Wait, I'm not leading her in the way I should. I'm not showing up for her with my body and my emotions and listening because I was trying to interrupt and fix it." To what you said is, "Don't interrupt her." Don't try and fix it. She would even say, don't interrupt me. Don't tell me what you think I need. Just stop and just listen to me. You don't even correct. Like, so, so if I, this, uh, so if I, if, if I come back to it later, cause it, it cause it bugs a guy. Cause with a guy, they're like, these things aren't right. Like if you think that I'm feeling that or thinking that, yeah, then, then like, you need to know that that's not what I'm, they don't. That's the craziest thing to me. It's like, like for a guy, it's like, how could you not want, like, if someone says something that's not correct right. and you're like, hey, no, you're making an assumption there or you took a left here when it should have been a right. Like, you, I want to know, oh, oh, because that fixes it for a guy that goes, yeah. oh, you didn't, you didn't think that? I was in, oh. But that's not safe that for it. her. It doesn't fix it for it's a girl. It's not safe That's for not woman, what yeah. a girl's going, she, yeah. she is, she's expressing emotion. And when, and when you say safe, like a guy thinks like, what do you mean safe? Like, I'm not going to yeah. beat you up. I'm not going right. to like. No, it's just, there's a, there's imagine, a respect Imagine if there. every young man went through some type of, of just, just a day or two of, of, hey, here's what to expect in your marriage. This will happen. Or, or even in the fifth year, right? Or, or the 10th year. And, and. We do marriage counseling now, even in 12 years, and I'm, I'm looking at someone who's got 25 years in. You know, things are going to change. Like, nothing is constant. If, and if we just assume, and that's why the whole cruise control metaphor um, applies to just about any era of your life, but especially in your marriage. If you try and put your marriage on cruise control and you're not pouring into it and you're not trying to adapt and you're not trying to grow and realize that the woman she is now is going to be a different woman than she is in 10 years, and the man I am now is way different than when we first met— then you're just assuming that it's supposed to be easy, and that's why so many marriages are ending in divorce. Mm. It's because people think you don't have to work, and this is what you got. This is what mm. you bought. Deal with it. Mm. <laughs> it's not the case. Yeah. No. no, that's good. I mean, you, and you can always ask that question, too, because, some t- look, I think there's a lot of times, and this may be may or may not be true for you and Fran, but there would be times, plenty of times, when I would just love, you know, to be able to, to sit down, have a conversation, and if, and if, he were, if you were to say to her, you know, okay, at the end of when she's done, you know, do you want me to listen, just listen, or do you want me to fix it? Because there's times when I do want you to fix it. You know, there are times when it needs to be fixed. So I think there's a little bit of both there, but at the same time, I, you're really onto something in in terms of the right, the, the creating that covering. It's a covering. You know what I do with that? So, so that's a common thing, right? To go, Hey, do you want me to fix it? Or what guys will do though, is they'll, they'll say, I'm not going to fix it. But I, I, I'll just, I can't not let her know that these things she said were wrong, right? Like she made these assumptions. Yeah. 
guys will say, I wasn't trying to fix it. I'm just telling you, I didn't think that, or I didn't feel, you said I felt like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like, just don't care. Like yeah. literally if she, when I say it, I'm like, there's that glow. That's my girl. Like I say stuff like that. Um, I'll say you're a badass bitch. I'll say stuff like that. <laughs> but like, I'll, I'll literally like, and I'll say it genuinely. Yeah. Right? Because I love her being feminine. The feminine part is so beautiful. Yeah. Right? And she's a really strong girl, right? Yeah. And so for her to come out and feminine and like, and really kind of like bask in it, like I have to, I, I need to be real, just strong. And, yeah. I, and I need to be, and I need to be sure and certain. Yeah. And, and and so, and I mean, you talk about like growth in that, man. When you practice it every single day. Yeah. Like, man, I've grown. And now it's coming naturally for me now, not to correct, but even it, when I would autopilot any of it, if I, if I wasn't turned on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, even after it, like, she's good, she shared it all, and I'm like, well, there's a couple things, like, you want me to share any of that stuff? And she'll be like, I mean, you can if you want to. That means no. Yeah. Like, leave it. Like, she's good. <laughs> she doesn't care if it was true or not, yeah. right? And I'll be like, well, you said this, and it wasn't true. And then it's like, she's got all these other feelings because I just didn't validate any of it, and then I need to listen to it all. So so I think of, like, it's almost too easy for, really, with guys. It's like, you listen, get it out. Like, my goal in it is to really hear right. her and to get it out of her and to not say anything correcting, just really hear that she, knowing that what she's telling me is she feels that's right this way. So what's the biggest barricade? The ba- barricade to that. The biggest uh, separation is when uh, pride and stubbornness, because that's where a man will go to. He'll get, I get very prideful. She's like, you can't even admit when you're wrong, or or you're just stubborn, <laughs> or you won't listen to me. And even with our children, you know, um, uh, years ago we were in Arizona, and I went to go get some acupuncture on my shoulder. And um, I walk in, you know, and I'm, I'm in guy mode. I'm like, fix it, you know? Yeah. He, and, the, and the guy was like, hold on a second. He's like, let's talk for a second. And I'm like, I'm here to get my shoulder fixed. What do you want to talk about? He's like, well, how was your day? And, and immediately I'm like, what do you mean how was my day? He's like, yeah. I go, I don't know. It's not great. He goes, why? I go, well, I, I yelled at my daughter really bad last night, and I feel guilty about it today. He's like, well, why did you yell at her? And, and rem- remember, in the back of my head, I'm like, I thought we're supposed to be putting needles in my shoulder, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm going along with this. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, why'd you yell at her? I go, because it was her bedtime. And, and, and she was looking at some little magnifying glass trying to figure out how it worked. And I told her three times, and she still didn't go to bed, and I really laid into her, and she cried. And now I'm feeling guilty about that today. Mm-hmm. He goes, wow. This is the worst. He goes like this. He goes, wow. She was really into that magnifying glass, huh? I go, yeah. He goes, isn't it amazing how children are so present in something so simple? He goes, what if we were adults could be that present with what we were doing? Who is this guy? Yeah. Who's his acupuncture? Yeah. (laughs) And and, and and, and automatically, again, it was one of those heart-piercing moments where I was like, you got me. He's like, she was like so Tom present. Hanks. He goes, yeah. he goes, children are presence machines. He yeah. goes, she, you're worried about her getting enough sleep because you're an adult. You're worried, well, what do you got to do the next day? How are you going to get enough sleep? What if you're tired? What if you don't get your coffee in the morning? She's fascinated with what's in front of her in the moment. And he goes, that's what you can learn from your child. And it's kind of what you can learn from you talking about your wife. If we can just be present and not worry about fixing it and not worry about how it's going to end up, not worry if we're going to have sex that night, not worrying if she's going to, it's going to, 
to end up in an argument um, and not worrying about anything else except being present. And he called it being a present machine. And I tell you what, for a, a type A squirrel, short person, uh, short attention span person like me, it's it's a real struggle. And it's like that addiction. I'm never going to break that. I'm always going to be like quick to judge, quick to jump in, and short attention span. But every once in a while, I can remind myself, be present. Mm. And, and just like with my daughters the other day, they're they're doing something and I'm working, and she's like, just come in and be present. Mm. And I'm like, but this. And she's like, but nothing. You know? But nothing. Be present, because they're going to grow up like that, and you're going to regret it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Drops the mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Can you wrap up? Thank you guys. This is awesome. This was really awesome. Oh, this was a this was an. Honor. I feel like this could be like a bunch of episodes. Yeah. And also, yeah. I'd like to have Fran. Yeah, that'd be oh, really that'd be cool. Love to have Fran. For yeah. sure. Maybe we'll do it in Gatlinburg. Yeah, yeah we gotta know? bring. We didn't bring our equipment. We almost brought our podcast. We almost equipment. did. Yeah. Sometimes we bring it on the road. Depending on, we just canned a couple before we canned some in the studio, yeah. and then we canned a couple. Before, well, you canned one before we left. Mm-hmm. You guys are like. Doing it in bathrooms and yeah, yes, anywhere you closets, go. yep, wherever. It's a yeah. commitment. Love yeah. your baby. Well, thank you for having us on. <laughs> thank we you. really this appreciate was awesome. It. We're Dude. we're excited for you. Yeah, yeah. You guys are you guys are so comfortable behind the mics. I'm like, yeah, still trying to work. Well, it out. you know what? We we got our groove on there. There was a time where I'm like, because I I know that you haven't launched this yet. And there was a time like Dave's in the zone right now. Like you're you're going off. You're in the zone. So mm-hmm. that was good. Oh, you'll hit your sweet spot. Oh, I love this. Okay. Thank you guys.